0: Hello everyone, I'm your Average Joe, and welcome to the Average Joe podcast. Before I begin, I would like to address a mistake that I made. Uh, Multiple listeners have brought to my attention that within the first minute of last week's episode, I misspoke and said that Ukraine has invaded Ukraine. I meant to say that Russia has invaded Ukraine, so thank you to everyone who caught that for me. Uh, We're going to call that a test, because I just wanted to make sure that you were all paying attention. So, congrats, you passed. Anyways, here's our topics for today. In global news, we're going to look at the background of Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. In tech news, we'll see how Elon Musk is using Starlink to help Ukrainian citizens. In TV and entertainment, we'll go over what euphoria is and why it's become so popular. In today's how-to segment, we're going to learn how to melt chocolate over a stove. And today's topic for debate is, should all countries be isolationist? Alright, starting with global news, I want to talk a little bit about Ukraine's current president, Volodymyr Zelensky. This guy is obviously going through a little bit of a uh, struggle right now, right? And I thought, hmm, I wonder what kind of history he has. Is he well suited for this? Maybe he's got like a background in politics or military or something. So, I did some research, and here's what I found. Zelensky was born in 1978 in what used to be the Ukrainian-Soviet Socialist Republic. His father is a professor, and his mother used to be an engineer. His grandfather served in the Red Army in World War II, and his great-grandfather was murdered in the Holocaust, along with his grandfather's three brothers. Zelensky got a law degree from the Cree V. Institute of Economics, but rather than working in the legal field, he actually went on to pursue comedy. At 17 years old, Zelensky joined the KVM, a competitive comedy team that I have absolutely no chance of pronouncing correctly, and in 1997, he created the Kvartal 95 comedy team. In 2003, Zelensky's Kvartal 95 began to collaborate with the Ukrainian TV channel One Plus One, moving to the channel Inter in 2005. Zelensky would go on to star in multiple films throughout the decade, and uh, do you guys remember the movie Paddington that came out in 2014? Well, Zelensky voiced Paddington Bear whenever the Ukrainian dub was being recorded. And in the year, uh, the next year, 2015, Zelensky starred in a series called Servant of the People, where coincidentally enough, he played the role of the President of Ukraine. In the 2019 presidential campaign, Zelensky ran under his own political party that took the same name as his show, Servant of the People. His reason for running was to, quote, bring professional, decent people to power and to change the mood and timber of the political establishment as much as possible. Zelensky was inaugurated on May 20th of 2019, making him the first Jewish president of Ukraine, and he's currently serving out his first and potentially only term since one of his campaign promises was that he would only serve a single five-year term. And with that, we all know a little more about President Zelensky. Alright, moving over to tech news, Elon Musk and SpaceX have sent aid over to Ukraine in the form of their Starlink satellite system. Starlink is Elon Musk's attempt at providing broadband internet to people everywhere, and he really means everywhere. All you need is a clear view of the sky to aim your Starlight satellite dish, and you'll be connected to the thousands of Starlight satellites orbiting the Earth as we speak. Uh, as of right now, I believe there's a little over 2,000 satellites uh, in low orbit. This product is super ambitious and I really hope that it becomes a strong name in the internet market because this is fast accessible internet that we're talking about. Starlink internet is supposed to provide transfer speeds of up to 100 to 200 megabytes per second which is like 10 to 20 times faster than the internet I'm currently paying 50 bucks a month for. Keep in mind I'm saying megabytes per second not megabits. A lot of service providers will display their speeds in megabits per second or mbps Um, Those are always bigger numbers, and that's what kind of entices you to buy their package deal. But if you take that number and divide it by 8, that's actually how fast your internet is in megabytes per second, which is the common method used to measure internet speed. The other factor that makes Starlink so ambitious is its ability to be installed pretty much anywhere with a view of the sky, so you don't need to worry about running countless lengths of Ethernet or fiber optic cable from the nearest provider, Just hook up your Starlink dish up to the router, and you're all set. You know, fast wireless internet. Now, back to the point of this segment, Elon Musk sent a shipment of his Starlink satellite dishes over to Ukraine as an attempt to restore their internet capabilities, which has been uh, temporarily disabled up until now due to Russian cyber attacks. Now, although this gesture is very much appreciated, uh, there is raised concern about the effectivity of these dishes due to certain wartime variables Uh, In Ukraine's cities, the tall buildings will disrupt a clear view of the sky, so the only available location to put these satellite dishes is going to be on top of said buildings. Uh, This is an obvious safety issue for whoever's installing these dishes, since they'll be left in a very vulnerable position, and Russia has shown quite a few times that civilians and soldiers seem to look quite the same through their crosshairs. On top of that, once these satellite dishes are installed, it will just serve as a target for the Russians since they've been using the Ukrainian's restriction from internet as a tactic. So once again, thank you Elon for trying to help out in an important way, but this might not be the solution that Ukraine can use regarding the internet, at least not right now. Alright, today for TV and entertainment, we're going to look at the hit show Euphoria to see what it is and why it is so popular. To describe the show in a sentence, think drugs, sex, and rock and roll, but replace the rock and roll with problematic teenagers and mental instability. <laughs> the show stars Zendaya as a girl named Rue Bennett who suffers from mental disorders and uh, her father's death from cancer. Now, the pilot episode has 17-year-old Rue returning home from rehab, and you can say for himself, like, oh, okay, I'm glad she chose to you know, fight addiction and turn her life around, right? So now that she's home, what does she do? Well, she does the only logical thing that a 17-year-old girl in America would do. She meets up with her friend Fez and immediately buys drugs from him. So, uh, yeah, so much for rehab. The whole series has a bunch of love triangles, uh, substance abusers, really awkward, weird sex, and uh, a lot of other mature stuff that I guess an adult audience could enjoy. So, uh, who's the the target demographic for this show? Oh, it's... It's high schoolers. I mean, I guess the cast is like supposed to be portraying high schoolers, right? But like, isn't it kind of strong to push drugs and sex onto teenagers, half of which can't even legally operate a vehicle? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like, oh, we should be naive and act like high schoolers don't have a clue what any of this stuff is. But the show almost seems to glorify the sadness of a terrible lifestyle in a way that makes it seem like normal or almost wanted. It's like the show is saying like, oh, just because we're teenagers, that doesn't mean that we can't have problems, too. But the list of problems is like way beyond the scope of what a normal sophomore is going through right now. And it's like they're trying to represent a very small group of people and high schools. High schoolers watching everywhere is supposed to be like, like, oh, this is this is the struggle I'm supposed to be having. Like, I, I was just stressed if I had enough money for Starbucks this week. <laughs> I guess I need to go live my life some more and get like these guys. This is a PSA to teenagers everywhere. Please do not live your life like you're on the cast of Euphoria. Just get some good grades and move out of your parents' house, for crying out loud. You won't peak in high school as long as you don't treat it like the only prime years of your life, okay? Now, you might be asking yourself, like, well, if this show is so outlandish, why would people even watch it? Well, for one thing, Zendaya is like the queen of the young generation, so I promise people will watch her and whatever she stars in. Uh, (laughs) Dune. And for another thing, the show looks good. Like The fashion and the makeup is very eye-catching, although I most definitely would not send my child to school dressed like some of these people, and all the complicated twists and turns through the plot, they they do a pretty good job of keeping your attention, so all in all, it's a a very, very revealing drama that might step over the line of comfort for some people, but it is very well produced. Uh, It covers material that is very real in this day and age, and uh, I can understand why so many people are hooked. Before we continue on, it is time for today's fun fact. Do you know what fictional human character has been portrayed the most times on film and TV? Now, I know maybe you're thinking some kind of superhero or comic book character, right? Like You're like, oh, it's Batman. I know it's Batman. Well, the answer is Sherlock Holmes. And he has been portrayed on screen 254 different times. Now you know. Alright, in our how-to segment today, we're going to learn how to properly melt chocolate over a stovetop. This is something that you probably don't do on a daily basis, but it is for that very reason that you could easily mess this up and ruin your food. Now, the method I'm going to go over is the double boiler method, and it might be a smidge complicated, but that is okay. You might be saying, well, but Joe, can I use a bowl in a microwave? Because no, no, you cannot. That is a flawed technique and your chocolate is going to suck. But it's okay because I will tell you how not to suck. For the double boiler method, you're going to want a saucepan and a metal or glass bowl that you can rest on top. I'll break this down into 5 steps for you to follow, so here we go. Step number 1 is to fill your saucepan with about 2 inches of water and set it on the stove. Step number 2 is to take your glass or metal bowl and set that on top of the pan. Now this part is crucial. You want to check the whole circumference of the pan and make sure that it's touching the bowl. There shouldn't be any gaps where steam can escape. Also, make sure that the bowl doesn't touch the water in the pan. We only want the steam to touch the bottom of the bowl later on. Now that you've got that set up, step number three is to take your chocolate and prep it for the bowl. If you're melting chocolate chips or chocolate wafers, then you're all set. But if you have a whole bar or a larger chunk of chocolate, then go ahead and cut that up into some smaller segments. Step number four is a long one, so listen closely. You want to take the chocolate and put it in the bowl. Don't mess this one up. If you whiff on step number four, there is no room for you in Chef Joe's kitchen. Finally, step number five is to put the stove on medium heat and tend to your chocolate. The steam from the pan will warm up the bottom of the bowl and indirectly heat the chocolate, which will melt it more evenly. As the chocolate's melting, you'll want to stir it with a rubber spatula or something similar. And once it's fully melted, you're all set. You know, Dip some strawberries in your creation. Maybe just eat it with a spoon if you want to. Chef Joe holds no judgment. Now, the steps alone might not seem too hard, but let's address something that could happen that can ruin your whole process, and that's when the chocolate seizes. So, chocolate is made of fat, cocoa, and sugar, right? And when it's melted, these ingredients mix together evenly. But, if even the smallest amount of water touches the warm chocolate, it's going to bind with the cocoa and the sugar, and the whole thing of chocolate is going to seize up into a rough, gritty paste, and that is no bueno. If this happens to you, though, fear not. We can fix the problem by fighting fire with fire and adding more water to our chocolate. You'll want to add about a teaspoon of hot water at a time as you stir your seized hot chocolate, and eventually it will smoothen back out. Just like that, you now know how to impress all of your friends by melting chocolate like a pro. All right, for our last segment of the show, let's get into this week's topic for debate. Should all countries be isolationist? Now here's how I'm going to run this debate. To keep personal bias out of the way, I'll be pulling arguments that both support and negate this topic, and it'll be up to you to decide which stance you take. I think too much mainstream news in today's age is one-sided arguments that media outlets want to shove down your throat, but I believe everyone should have the opportunity to see both sides of the coin and make a decision for themselves. To kick things off, we'll look at one supporting stance for isolationist countries. If a country avoids foreign entanglement, that means that it would have more time to focus on domestic policy, and a foreign aid budget could instead be used for infrastructure, national poverty, homelessness, etc. In opposition to this, the economy can also suffer when you neglect the other nations of the world. Trade agreements will be minimal to non-existent in a truly isolationist country, and resources like oil, metals, and foods Uh, They're abundant in more regions of the world than others, so you kind of got to rely on that trade to get your people the stuff they need. Back on the positive, a country that is neutral with those around it could potentially spend uh, less on defense since it would not be getting involved in international conflicts, right? Instead of a large military budget, it could once again distribute funds to infrastructure and internal necessities. You know, the kind of the revolving thing with this is instead of worrying about everyone else, you're able to worry about yourself and build yourself up as you want to. Uh, But, on the contrary, nations with smaller militaries are more prone to being attacked, especially if their military is underdeveloped. Plus, said military might lack experience or tactics if it hasn't been actively involved in conflicts, so even a larger military might crumble if it's run by isolationist leaders who haven't given them the experience they need to know how to win wars. With these points in mind, what do you think? Will more countries benefit from secluding themselves? Or... Is more foreign interaction better for overall well-being? Think about other factors that might play into this as well, like what political structure might work better in an isolationist country. Think about this one for a bit and let me know what you decide. All right, everyone. This is the end of the Average Joe podcast, and I want to give a big thank you to everyone who listened all the way to this point. You're a rock star, and you can be the change the world needs. Please subscribe and stay tuned to future episodes. I like to upload episodes weekly, and I would very much appreciate if you took 20 minutes of your day to hear what I have to say. Who knows? You just might learn something. Have a wonderful day, and I hope to see you again.